0: Amen. Good morning. Yeah, my wife and I, we leave today for um, a season of uh, rest and and recuperation, and we don't take that lightly. We're uh, super thankful uh, for all that God has done for us uh, in the church. We feel blessed, and, um, you know, uh, we are going to take the time. You know, one of the things of just being a pastor is um, I don't want to just be a pastor vocationally, but I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, most importantly. And uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, the most important relationship in my, my life uh, is my relationship to Jesus. And uh, I am looking forward over the next several weeks of just being in the Word of God, uh, not because I've got to counsel someone or because I've got to prepare a message or anything like that, um, but really in part because uh, James says, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. And, uh, and so we're uh, looking forward to that time I think of the story, I was telling Mike about this a few weeks, and I'm so thankful for their uh, generous, um, uh, compassionate uh, opportunity for me to be gone for an extended period of time. And uh, after we talked about this, I was in my Bible reading, and I read through the the story of Elijah. And Elijah, you know, prayed down fire. He, uh, like, cut in half the prophets of Baal. I mean, that's pretty legit, right? You know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden, he uh, Jezebel threatens him, and he runs into the woods, and God's like, what's going on? And he's like, here's a cake, take a nap, you know? And, uh, and I think that's kind of uh, a little bit of where we're at. We're thanking God for the opportunity to be away. Um, today we conclude the series, We Are the Church. And uh, this story is kind of fascinating in many ways because it's kind of, it's kind of the uh, quintessential story of uh, two guys who were mama's boys, right? And uh, ultimately you've got two guys here and their mom is going to Jesus and like, hey, can you hook my boys out or hook them up, you know? And, uh, you know, for me personally, if my mom did something like that, we'd be having a chat, right? But she goes to Jesus and like, hey, I think my boys are legit. I think they're better than these other ten hoodlums you got following you around. And uh, quite frankly, I think they should be elevated to a place of position and power above the rest of these guys. I mean, you know, look at them. They're the, you know, they're the sons of thunder, you know, like promote them, right? And so, um, so Jesus flips this whole idea of, Personal selfish ambition on its head. In fact, what he does in this passage is he really teaches us, you and me, the essence of what it means to be a servant as a follower of Jesus Christ. And when I talk about serving, for many of us, the word serving can actually, for many of us, it doesn't resonate with who we are. Quite frankly, it goes against our flesh, and for many of us, it's actually kind of a dirty word. And, um, I think about this even with my own kids, and I love them. Brianna's in here today, so don't tell your sister I'm going to share this, uh, but um, I've got two wonderful kids, but I sometimes I feel like I'm raising two hobos, right, you know? Um, they think it's okay to leave cookies on the floor that are half eaten. They think it's okay to open up lens wipe uh, uh, things uh, to clean their glasses and leave the paper on the floor. Um, there, there's this idea sometimes with our kids where they don't look for the opportunity to help out around the house. And all the parents said, they don't don't look for that. You know, they want to be told what to do rather than living out the essence of what it means to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Jesus talks about that in this particular passage. The reality is, is that we do serve. Some of us do serve. In fact, some of us serve and others of us actually even sacrifice in order to do so. But oftentimes, sadly and unfortunately, we serve and we do so with wrong motives because we want to get something out of it. One writer said it this way, and this quote has stuck with me for probably the last decade. But failure is succeeding at something in life that doesn't matter. You know, how often do we invest our life, our money, our resources, our time, our gifts, our abilities, How often do we invest in things, giving ourselves to things that doesn't matter? Now, I'm all for recreation. I'm obviously all for vacation. I'm all for working hard and then playing hard. I'm I'm, I'm all for that. But our passion, our pursuit, the, the ethos of our life, is it going to be about our own personal ambition? Or is it going to be about the kingdom of God? Is it going to be about climbing the ladder of culture and the, the ladder of what other people think we need to be and what we need to do and, and allowing our, our, our society to find what true success is or is true success going to be found in the reality of being a servant of Jesus Christ. Jesus in this passage in verse 20 through 28, he begins teaching his disciples that, that our greatest failures happen when we invest our time, our energy, our resources in things that are not eternal. The disciples wanted greatness, but in the kingdom, it's, it's defined quite a bit differently. And so you might want to just write it down today on your notes because it's not in there, but maybe jot this question down. What is greatness? What does it mean to be great? You might ask it this way, what is success? How do I know that I'm truly successful? I mean, what level in the uh, corporate ladder do I need to climb to in order to know that, that my life is fulfilled? How much money do I need to have in my, my bank account in order to know that, that I've arrived at a place of success? Is it celebrity? That people know me? That I'm known? When I walk into a room, people listen like E.F. Hutton. Old timers will get that one, right? When I walk into a room, people know who I am and they. They 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 hang on my every word, and, and, and I'm known wherever it is that I go, and people recognize that, and they fawn over me. Is it beauty? Is it having the right looks? Some of you, you're just not going to win that one, so maybe move on to something else. Is it pleasure? I mean, Proverbs says the appetite of man is never satisfied. Is it pleasure? Is it fun? Is it comfort? You see, in this text, Jesus answers these questions as the disciples are actually arguing over who is going to be the greatest when Jesus enters his kingdom. You see, the thing about God's kingdom is this. It's about Jesus and not me and you. That's the, that's the reality of the kingdom of God. It's about Jesus, not me, not you, not what we gain, but it's how we treasure and follow and pursue Jesus Christ. You see, greatness in God's economy is turned upside down in a culture that seeks first and easy and nominal Jesus defines greatness as the one who serves. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus ultimately describes greatness. He describes life as being successful when you serve Him. When you live for His kingdom. When you live out the purpose for which He created you. And the one who sacrifices, the one who is a servant and even a slave to others, that's the person that will find fulfillment in life. That's the person that will, that will find greatness in life. So I want to share with you this morning as we think about our relationship to God's kingdom, our relationship to this reality that, that we are a church, and as a church we should be made up of people who are servants of Jesus Christ. In a church like this, with so many blessings going on right now, so many people come to Christ, baptism's happening, people joining the church. Um, there should never be a dearth of those who want to live out their purpose in the kingdom of God. There should never be a need for volunteers. In fact, volunteers is a word that we use because it's, it's, it's culturally acceptable. But in reality, whenever you see the word servant in the word of God, typically it's, it's, it's defined in the original languages as a slave. And for those of us who know Jesus Christ and who have been purchased by His blood, according to 2 Corinthians, we recognize that our life and our gifts and our abilities and our time and our resources, they no longer belong to us. They belong to Jesus Christ. So all that we have and all that we are is to be lived out in service to our King, our King Jesus. So this morning, there's five things in this text, and you're like, oh my word, five. It's a holiday weekend. Are you serious? I'm going to go quick, right? But I want to share with you five things that serving others will do to benefit your faith and grow you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You see, one of the things that we go over in our starting point class is that we assume that when you become a member of Jackson Creek Fellowship Church, we're assuming you want to grow in your faith. We're assuming that you desire to have your faith expanded, to have your faith strengthened. We're assuming that you want to see God do amazing things in your life through you and through this church for the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel. So part of the process in which your faith grows will be in the context of serving Jesus Christ and His kingdom. And the first benefit that we find in verses 22 and 23 is that when we serve Jesus and we live for His kingdom, As a servant, as a slave, it develops the character of our life. It develops our character. In verse 22, Jesus answered um, uh, uh, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. And he says to her, he says, you do not know what you are asking. She's like, hey, I want my boys to be on your right and on your left. I want them to be in a position. I want them to be in a place of position, a place of power. and, and, And I want them to be something in your kingdom. Jesus just quickly pivots and says, hey, look, you don't know what you're asking me. Because he says in this passage, are you able, are they able to drink the cup that I am to drink? What he's talking about there is Jesus was on a pathway to suffering. From the moment that he drew his first breath, he knew that his time on this earth was limited. He knew that. He knew the very moment that he would give up the ghost and breathe his last breath. But he was born to die. He was he was born to suffer for the sins of mankind. And his life wouldn't be a life of ease. It wasn't going to be a life of comfort. It was going to be a life that was given up in service to others. And so Jesus is like, You don't you don't know what you're asking me. And so he continues in this passage of scripture, and the mother of James and John, she asked Jesus if her sons would be able to sit in a place of privilege and honor. Because her view of the kingdom was being warped by a worldly idea of position and power. And many of the disciples, uh, all of them thought they were something, and we all do. I mean, we do. And oftentimes, our ego gets in the way of God's plan and God's purpose for our life because we're like, I should get this job. I should be in this place of power. I should have this much money in my checking account. I should be able to go on this vacation. I should be able to drive this kind of car. I should live in this style or size of house or in... Or in this zip code? I I just laughed a a, a few months ago. My wife and I, I actually last year we went to Frankfurt Fest, and I was in downtown Frankfurt. I thought this was funny, but um, they had T-shirts in Frankfurt, and and it had the, 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 the number 60423. Does anyone know what that is? It's a zip code. Does anybody know where Frankfurt is outside of Will County? Does anyone really care? Right? But some people think that's a big deal. Like, I'm from 60423, right? This ain't Beverly Hills 90210. Give me a break. Come on. Right? It's Frankfurt. Yeah, amen? I mean, if you live in Frankfurt, God bless you. You got nice schools, but you're paying a fortune in taxes, right? So may the Lord bless you. But we all have this idea that that we're something. And we find our identity in our zip code, or we find it in our job, or we, we find it in our bank account, or we find it in, in our, 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 our attractiveness, if you're, if you're that brazen, right? We find it in so many things, and they had too much confidence in their own abilities and importance. And We too, like the disciples, have an elevated view of ourselves. We carry a lot of pride. We, we carry a, a lot of ego. And much like these disciples of Jesus thought that the way of greatness was through position and power. We think the same thing. If I make this amount of money, I'll I'll have power. I'll have control over my life and over others. or Or if I do this, or if I accomplish this, or if I get successful in this area, I will be something when I get here. Jesus is like, no. You'll be something when you learn to serve. When you learn to pour out your life for me and for others. You see, in contrast, Jesus mentions that the way to greatness is through the path of suffering. And suffering and adversity does two things for our growth. We don't like it. In fact, we try to avoid suffering as best as we can. We try to run from it. We fear it. We try to protect our our, our family and our, our friends from it. But it's a good thing because it does a couple of things in our life. First of all, it reveals our idols. It reveals our idols. You might jot this down today. Idols get in the way of true success. Idols get in the way of true success. For the disciples in verses 20 and 21, it was their personal ambition that was getting in the way. That was their idol. They were about themselves. They were self-absorbed. And this is contrary to the modern church where we have this pursuit of celebrity and not the servant. They were seeking positions of honor and ambition. And worldly thinking wants to lord over others, not serve them. That's That's what most of us want. My oldest is that way. She's always trying to boss people around. I mean, this morning she's trying to tell Mike something that she had no earthly idea what she was talking about. I mean, there's three grown men in a room working on a project, and my, my 13-year-old thought she was going to add something of value to that conversation. But, I mean, it just blows my mind. Right? I'm like, hey, she's going to lead one day, and I don't know what she's going to lead, right? But she's going to, and she's constantly trying to control other people. God help her. And God help her husband one day. <laughs> She's not in her, so I can say all that. In the kingdom of God, man, there's no room for selfish ambition. There's just not. Biblical ambition is always for the promotion of others and not yourself. And we tend to try to set things up in such a way that it benefits us and that it makes things easy for us, and that's, that's what selfish ambition does. Another idol was personal comfort, man. Verses 22 and 23. Jesus again, he says, "Man, do you know what you're asking?" I don't think you do. Disciples willingly lay down their lives and their personal comfort for the good of others. Jesus taught us that there is something greater than comfort that's serving those around us. You see, Jesus Jesus turned society upside down by proving that a servant's heart, a servant's heart is the happiest and freest of all. When we're wrapped up in our health, when we're wrapped up in our success, when we're wrapped up in our our checking account and our bank accounts, we're in bondage because that owns us. That's where our identity is found. But when you live life open-handedly for the sake of others and for, the, for, the, for the, the proclamation of the gospel, all of those things are nothing more than tools that God gives you in your life to leverage the real meaning of life, which is the message of the gospel. And so we find true greatness in serving others. In our culture, it's me first. So much of our life is built around what pleases us, what's best for us. I'm guilty of this. But that kind of spirit will not reach others. It will not bless others. It will not bring true success to our lives. In fact, that type of life is short-sighted, missing out on what is truly great, what's truly eternal. Jesus is reminding these men that the way to greatness in the kingdom of God means that we're willing to surrender the fantasy of a comfortable life to pursue the kingdom of God. So we find that serving reveals our, um, our idols, but it also reveals our purpose. You see, Jesus said, do you know what you're asking me? And in this passage, he says, do you don't know what you're asking me? You're able to drink the cup that I'm able to drink. And they said to him, we are. And he said to them, you will drink of this cup. What he's saying to them is, is you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer for the kingdom. You're going to give up your comfort. You're going to get these men were despised by the religious world at the time. They were persecuted for their faith. A persecution that we'll never likely ever know the depth of until we get to heaven. And we'll probably never experience this kind of suffering in our lifetime. Our kids may, but we we likely will never experience this type of suffering. And Jesus says in this passage, he goes. He says, you will drink the cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left, that's not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared for by the Father. I want to remind you today that every single difficulty, and they will come, every single trial and every every step forward in adversity, is God working for our good and for His glory. Do you realize this morning that even in our suffering, There is nothing that can touch you that God hasn't willed in your life for your good and for his glory. In fact, Romans says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And you may want to write this down today, but pain in this life prepares us for God's purpose. Pain. Pain prepares us for purpose. The pain in your life will reveal God's purpose in your life. I can think about growing up in a home with an abusive father, and I can remember very succinctly as a young man just praying and asking God to allow me to have a a, a normal home life and a normal father, whatever that might be. A a father that could just go outside and throw the ball with me or shoot baskets with me, and, and and a father that was engaged with me, and that never happened for me it seem fair? I don't know. I do know this, that the Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust, but I know this for the Christian, when pain comes our way, God never wastes a hurt. God never wastes a trial. And every hardship that we face in our life is God perfecting and maturing our faith and our life and our purpose and our ability to serve and really hold on to the things in this life that truly matter. I think about Mike and Sue's testimony and the, the difficulties that they've gone through in their life. And I, I rejoice with them in the, the opportunities that God has given them and the platform that God has given them to to share the gospel in and to minister to people in a way that, that others can't because they have those experiences. I think about John and Jenna and the opportunity that they have to potentially adopt. And uh, Jenna had a procedure this week, and I hope I was allowed to share that. didn't ask beforehand, but she had a procedure this week. You know, and, and there's some difficulty there. But that difficulty and that pain doesn't come without a purpose from God. God uses all of these things to help us to a, 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 a arrive at a place where he's ultimately developing and shaping our character in the kingdom of God. You see, the moment that you recognize, the moment you recognize your pain as a purpose is the moment that God begins perfecting your faith. Because every difficulty has the potential to develop your faith and deepen your love for what really matters, and that's Jesus. When you approach suffering and adversity this way, it's not wasted. I'm afraid to say that there have been seasons in my life where I've gone through incredible adversity and incredible difficulty, and I complained about it, and I moaned about it, and I even sinned in response to what God was attempting to do in my life, and I Missed out on the greater blessing and the character development in my life because I was moaning at a sovereign God who genuinely, genuinely loves me, cares for me, and is my friend. And so serving develops character, but secondly, it defines true greatness. Verses 26 and 27, he says to the disciples, look, it's, verse. let me back up there again. The the 10 heard it. The Bible says they're indignant. That's a nice way of saying they were, they were ticked off, right? They were upset. at the other, like, Who do you guys think you are? And I mean, isn't that the way we are? We look at other people and we're like, well, why are they on the platform? Why do they get to sing? And why do they get to teach? And why do they get this opportunity? And, you know, why do they get to go on this vacation? Why do they get to get this job? Or We do that, don't we? And so we find in this passage that greatness is truly defined. Verse 25, Jesus called them to him and says, chill out. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. He goes, "You are you are actually desiring to become the thing that you hate." And don't we do that? We do. We we fall into that false trap that that we desire what the world has, and it's actually the thing that we despise the most. Is like, well, I don't want to be like my boss, but you're but you're but you're jockeying for that position. Well, I don't like people that live in these big houses, and I don't like people that live in that area code but we want it, right? We want it. And that's exactly what the disciples are doing in this, in this this passage of Scripture. Jesus is like, why are you doing this? And then he flips it and he says, it, it's not going to be that way with you. It's not going to be so among you, but if you want to be great, you must be a servant. I love this word because the word servant in this in this particular instance means diakonos. It's the one who serves without necessarily having the office. God Give us some servants in the church. People that want to serve Jesus and the kingdom without any position, without any acknowledgement, without any any recognition. They just want to love their Savior make much of Him. And then he goes on to say, and whoever be first among you must be your slave. It's a Greek word, doulos, and that word means bond, servant, slave. One pastor said it this way, true Christianity is not about adding Jesus to your life. Instead, it's about devoting myself completely to him, submitting wholly to his will, and seeking to please him above all else. And is that desire of your heart this morning? Is that what you're seeking to do with your life? Seeking genuinely to give your life wholly to Jesus for the sake of others and for the sake of of the gospel. Greatness isn't in the one who has authority. Listen to this. I love this. Greatness. Greatness comes not with how many people serve us, but how many people that we serve. In your bulletins and on the keynote today, there's this diagram. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in this this text. You see, in in a worldly economy, I'm at the top. I'm the one that matters the most. And everyone is doing everything to push me forward and to promote me to the place that I am Uh, that I that I am most ambitious about but Jesus takes it and he flips it around and he says no man in the kingdom you're at the bottom and everyone else is at the top and your greatness will be defined not by how many people you have under you it's how many people that you have over you how many people that you're serving how many people that you're you're investing in you see Greatness is achieved when our passion for God motivates us to serve people. You know what would turn your marriage upside down today? If you became a servant. You know what would turn your family upside down? Even the relationship that you have with your kids? If you just be a servant. What would turn this church upside down is if we would embrace the heart of Jesus and that we would be a servant to those around us. That we would try to, as Romans says, to outdo one another in service one another what would change this community what would get people talking in Frankfurt, moni manhattan and pietone what would change this world is if we would just have the heart of a servant the third thing that it does is it demonstrates christ jesus says even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many you know what the truth is this morning you and I can't be like Jesus and please God if we're unwilling to live like he lived in service to others. You may not want to hear that today, but this is Memorial Day weekend. This is a weekend that we should be thinking about how we can honor those who have served in our armed forces to provide the freedom that we have today. I mean, that's really what service really is. And when you when you go to, and my wife and I had the privilege several years ago, and I um, we were in France, and we had the uh, the opportunity to go to Normandy, and I wish I had a picture of it, but when we went to Normandy, we're in France, and, and quite frankly, the only good thing to ever come out of France is French fries. Can I get an amen, right? We go, to, we go to France, and you pull into Normandy, and it's the most surreal thing because all of a sudden, you're in this foreign country, and then you're on American soil. And my wife and I, we went, and we walked on the, the shores of Normandy where our men they stormed the beach in order to take the shores. And that battle, according to history, kind of turned the tide of that war. And I grabbed a rock from the beach. I don't know if it's true or not, but it was a, a dark red rock. And many of the rocks on that beach were, were red. And they say that the, 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 the rocks there were red because they're stained with blood from the soldiers that died coming up and trying to take that, that position for, uh, uh, in that battle. We stood there and we, we walked and, and, and part of the, the memorial there was that you could stand inside these craters where, where we dropped bombs, right? We dropped bombs and I was able to stand there. We were able to stand in the little gunny towers where they would uh, sit out and try to shoot each other. And then, much like in Washington, D.C., we walked through this, this uh, the part of the cemetery where there was rows of crosses of all the men that gave their life sacrifice for the freedom that we enjoy today. That's sacrifice. On a holiday weekend, we don't want to really hear about all that. We want to hear about, you know, hot dogs and hamburgers and going out to the lake, and I'm all for that. But Jesus is saying, look, (laughs) if you want to be like me, you're going to have to give up your life. And while I'm thankful for the men that gave their life for the freedom that we have today, when all of this is said and done, there's not going to be an America. There's not going to be a Russia or China. It's going to be the kingdom of God. Amen. And the Bible is very clear that we are foreigners and we're aliens in this land. And please don't come up to me after church. I'm a patriot. I'm buying – my wife and I, we just bought a new home, and it, she told me yesterday, I'm so glad it's got a flagpole. We're going to hang our flag. We, we love America. But we love Jesus more. Amen. And, if, and if there are going to be those who are willing to give up their life for an ideal, the ideal of freedom, shouldn't we give up our lives for the real freedom that's found in Jesus Christ? And Jesus says, look, I laid down my life. A call to serve isn't just to get things done around the church. It's so that you can be like Jesus Jesus gave many examples of being a servant. If we're to be like Him, we must serve like Him. It's not about increasing volunteers in our church. It's essential to becoming like Him. You can't become like Jesus unless you are growing in your ability to serve others. We have got to make the connection. You've got to make the connection this morning. That if we're not faithfully serving others, we're probably not like Jesus Christ. You've got to make that connection. Verse 28 teaches us that it deepens our faith. Even so, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. When you give your life away in service to others, you're putting your faith in the promise of God that serving is better succeeding in, in life at things in life that don't really matter. You know what I'm saying? You're basically saying, all right, God, I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to give my life up for you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay down the best that I have so that I can make much of you not of myself, and when we do that, we're making a trade-off because we could lay down our life for our job and our career and our bank account and our pleasure and our comfort. We could do that, and we might even achieve some of those things. But in the end, when all's said and done, will it fill the emptiness and the void in our life and the purpose that God has called us to? I remember when I was a kid, they used to say, um... I've never seen a U-Haul being, you know, connected behind a hearse. Of course, I saw someone online put a U-Haul behind a hearse, and they did that in their funeral because apparently, I guess they were going to take some stuff to the grave. But the the metaphor is still the same. You can't take anything with you when this life is over. The only thing we take with us is those that we've touched their life with the message of the gospel. The last thing is this, verse twenty-eight. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. I like what Francis Schaeffer said: "Love is the greatest apologetic." You know, it's sad that in many churches, and we're talking about the church, but some churches are the most unloving place. It's just sad. You know that. You know that. Like sometimes people can walk into a church, and I don't think it's like this here. It might. Might happen to you if it does. I apologize. Tell Pastor Mike and he'll fix it while I'm gone. Right? <laughs> but do you know that sometimes people walk into church and walk right back out, and no one ever says a word to them? Do you, Do you realize that there's some folks in here today that are that are hurting? I mean, they're broken in some like very profound ways, and they just they just want someone to love them. They don't they don't need all the answers. They don't they don't need they don't need a uh, uh, a ton of things. They just need someone. To show them that there's someone in this place that cares for them. Someone in this world that actually, actually cares for them. Of all the ways that God could have delivered the message of his love, he chose to send his son as a suffering servant who would give his life away in death for our sins. Now listen, are you with me today? God could have, like, he's God. He could have created the cell phone and been like, here, disciples, here's a cell phone. Get it out on YouTube. He's like, I know Al Gore's is going to create the Internet in a few thousand years, but let's get this thing started right. I mean, God could have, he could have gotten the message that he loves man in a thousand million infinite different ways. And yet the way that he chose was to send his son, one man, to come to this earth and to serve. That was it. And I'm all for technology. I'm all for whatever we can do to get the gospel to the masses. But there's something to be said about you and me individually and corporately as a church getting our hands dirty and loving those around us for the sake of the gospel. I love the way that Paul said it. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, it's the love of Christ that controls us. Can I just stop there? Are you compelled by Christ's love for you? I know my life, and I know people come up to me on a regular with man, you're such a great pastor, and I'm like, man, I'm such a poser. Oh, man, you're such a great this, and you're like, really? Like, why don't you, I mean, I was yelling at my kids this morning, right? We we're getting ready to go on vacation, and I'm like, telling my wife, like, turn the music off, i got to get after these kids, you know? I mean, I just spent an hour in prayer this morning. I mean, in a moment, like, I just lost my mind, right? And I'm sitting down there, and I, in all reality, But I want to ask you this morning, I I look at my life and I I know the brokenness that's in my heart and the pockets of sin that I I try to not deal with. And when I think about, as John's saying this morning, when I think about his love, I'm overwhelmed. I'm just, I can't even wrap my head around the immensity of his love for me. That he came 2,000 years ago, and when he he was hanging on the cross, stretched out in pain, suffering, for me, I was on his mind. In fact, there's never been a moment that I've not been on the mind of Christ. Paul says it's the love of Christ that controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And listen, he that died for all, and those who might live, might no longer listen to this, live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And I'm just gonna ask you today who you living for? You living for yourself? You living for that 401k? You living for the, the job, the success? I, I don't know. And listen, I'm all for build up the 401k. Make all the money that you can. I'm, I'm all for succeeding in life. I'm just not for those things at the expense of finding true greatness in your calling as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I ask you this morning what is your goal? For our church, it's not to grow a large church, but it's to be a blessing to others and reach our community. What's your goal? Build your kingdom? To make a name for yourself? To pursue your goals and your agenda? I want to remind you that when Jesus saved you, He simultaneously called you into the service of the kingdom. You recognize that this morning. You might need to consider the difficulties in your life. And instead of like me moaning about them, recognizing that God has allowed it to sanctify and strengthen your your position to make much of the kingdom of God. Because if we're ever going to reach this community... If we're ever going to make a difference in life and achieve true greatness, it's going to be through ordinary men and women who are willing to serve Jesus with reckless abandonment. We've got some young people in this room. My wife and I, we went to a graduation party last week, and we were trying to remember what that was like, you know, when we were 18. And when you're 18, man, you got your whole life ahead of you, right? Many of you, you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and, and some of you, you just lost count, like how old you are, Right? But the crazy thing about God is no matter how many days, months, weeks, or years that you have left in your life, you can still pursue the purposes of God that he has for you. And that's why I'm so thankful about the word of God, because the Bible says that even when in our brokenness we sin, that he takes our sin as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. It says in Proverbs 28:13 that if we confess our sins, he is or, I'm sorry, if, if, we, if we cover our sins, we will not prosper. But if we confess and forsake our sins, we find mercy. In 1 John 1, 1.9, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And the reality is, is that many of us today may have at times or may be right now pursuing our own agenda, our own plans and our own ambitions at the expense of serving I'm not here to beat you up today. I'm not here to to to, to mow it low and make you feel bad or, 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 or establish any guilt and shame. But I wouldn't be honest with the word of God if I didn't stand here as a preacher of the gospel and say, hey, don't waste your life. Don't waste it on things that don't matter. And I don't need to get up here and tell you today that they're the richest people in all the world are some of the most unhappy people in the world. I'm not going to. There's some rich people out there. They're having a blast. Like they are. They're making the Benjamins. They're going on the trips. They're living the life. But There'll come a day of regret. There'll come a day of accountability. There'll come a day of reckoning. And there'll come a day of, of, did I really use my life to its fullest to change the world? And for us as followers of Jesus Christ, every single one of us in this room today, Have that very potential if we understand what it means to be a servant of Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you this morning, how many of you could say to me, you know, Pastor Jason, I know Jesus personally as my Savior. I know what it means to be forgiven of my sins, to have a relationship with God and to know that I have a home in heaven. Would you lift your hand this morning and let me see those hands all over the room today? If that would be your story. I know Christ is my Savior. Now, how many of you say to me this morning, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm a follower of Christ. I don't know that I've been forgiven of my sins. I don't know that I have a home in heaven, and that kind of bothers me. And I'd like for you to pray for me today. Is there anyone that's like that that's here today? Yes, sir, I see your hand. Anyone else? Yes, sir, I see your hand. Anyone else? Now, how many of you say to me this morning, Pastor, I don't want to waste my life. I want to know what it means to be a, 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 a true servant of Jesus Christ, and I want to use my life, my gifts, my opportunities, and the potential that God has given me to make much of Jesus. Would you just lift your hand this morning? I want to be a servant. Lift them up. Lift them up. Father in heaven, you see the hands of these dear folks. These two young men that raised their hand today that they didn't know Christ. I pray, Lord, that those who brought them today would talk to them about the gospel, and if they um, would like, maybe myself or Mike could talk to them about Jesus today. And then, God, I just pray for our church that we would recognize the incredible opportunity that we have to serve you the the benefits of serving you the joy of serving you the joy of making a real lasting eternal significant difference in the world in which we live we love you and we ask these things in jesus name amen would you stand this morning John